The Anton Savage Show Sunday. Brought to you by PwC. Combining talent and technology, we're hardwired to find solutions. On News Talk. We're also going to be looking at all of the stories making the news this weekend. And there is much related to RTE. Apparently 50% of people who should be paying for their first TV licence aren't, which is going to further increase the problems being faced by a broadcaster, which is so skint, according to some of the papers, it has cancelled its Christmas tree. A five-gan Christmas tree that was normally in Montrose has been cancelled and one of the papers has gone to the trouble of doing up Kevin Backhurst as Scrooge. There's that. There's a, a very interesting poll in the Sunday Independent, which we will get to, which looks at the impact of the riots on Thursday and what impact that's had on, on both sort of political leanings in the country and what people see as the big issues. And there is a lot of coverage um, as to whether or not the Minister for for public expenditure and reform is going to remain the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform because a lot of talk as to whether or not he's going off to become the MD of the IMF. This is on the front page of the Business Post. Taoiseach scrambles to quell talk of Donoghue move to the IMF. Well, somebody who has been following this all week, of course, is uh, the man responsible for the politics uh, in the Mail and the Mail on Sunday, that being uh, John Lee, Executive uh, Editor of uh, the Mail and Mail on Sunday. John, my understanding, and maybe I'm wrong on this, is if you want to quell rumour that you might be the next head of the IMF, you say two things. You say, I am not in the running for the job, and if offered it, I won't take it. He has not said that. No, and it appears from all sources we spoke to over the weekend that he, he very much is in, the, is in play. Uh, his Spanish um, op- opponent for the job has now been touted as, um, as favoured for the ECB gig, uh, so that seems to put him in the, uh, Pascal Donoghue in the running. He is incredibly well regarded in the uh, in the rarefied places that I've never been, like Davos and every, and everything else. Have you so, never been to Davos? You struck no, me as somebody who would have never been, been skiing. Really? Huh. They, they, they ski there, do they? You've I'm been there, unclear. obviously. But yeah, I'm, so, I'm so a Davos regular. I'm a, I have season tickets. No, I'd um, never get that far. But uh, um, only with only with prosaic politicians of which Pascal Donoghue isn't anymore. The Taoiseach was a little more um, uh, cir- circumspect, I think, when he was asked in, in, in another um, uh, uh, international conference this weekend, COP24, that um, what he thought, he wasn't, he didn't seem that supportive of, of the move, but that doesn't mean anything. But I think Leo's, Leo Varadkar, so yes, Pascal Donoghue perhaps could go to the rarefied um, spot that was occupied by such luminaries as Dominic Strauss-Kahn and others. But there is a very, very prosaic pressing issue in Irish domestic politics if that was to happen. Because if you were to have a quick look at the um, election results from 2020 and Pascal Donoghue who had a real dogfight in Dublin Central, his running mate at the time, Deirdre Duffy, didn't figure at all. Mary Lou Macdonald had a massive, been a four-seater, a massive vote and she will be guaranteed to A, have a running mate and B, probably bring in that running mate. So then if he's gone, do Fine Gael keep that seat? And I think there would be a bit of panic in Fine Gael about the, his, his departure. But yes. And would the hope be that the timing would allow them to take the seat and if he has to depart, deal with it in the by-election? I would, I would say Fine Gael will neither take a seat in a by-election or the general election if, if, if a, a politician of his stature isn't there. Uh, um, so that that is an issue. Now, I spoke to a cabinet minister last night 
and uh, that minister was trying to spin the fact that it might actually free up Fine Gael uh, for promotion and other issues but that's a long long way down the line You've got That's to like freeing up Manchester United by getting rid of Alex Ferguson isn't it? Well <laughs> Pascal Donoghue to the public uh, and to a lot of people outside politics has, has a great reputation and, and, and rightly deserved um, in some ways a bit of anachronism in modern politics I feel he's, he's so polite and collegiate and, and everything else one wonders if 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 he's ready and has the tools for what lies ahead in Irish politics. I'm not sure if that's the case. He's also something that I wouldn't necessarily have seen the coverage today, but I've written it before that his star very much fell within Fine Gael in the 2020 general election. And you've got to cast your mind back to two things. One, he was the director of elections which was, and was commonly felt it was a disastrous election for Fine Gael. He, he didn't really have that kind of parish pump politics aura about him that was required for the position. And secondly, he would have been seen as a, as a major player, as director of elections and as the key lieutenant to Leo Varadkar, uh, as having trotted out Fine Gael ideology in that election. Now, if you remember, this sounds like a million years ago, but the main plank of Fine Gael's general election campaign was their achievements in Brexit. There was an exit poll the night of the election which showed that 2% of the Irish population voted with Brexit in mind. And a lot of Fine Gael... 2%? Teams, 2% was it was, uh, as we would have expected, health and housing were the, were, the, were the premier issues facing people as they are today. But those things have not been forgotten within Fine Gael and it would free up position for them. But again, I go back to the pressing issue is Fine Gael have had an unprecedented flood of retirements and departures. It uh, would, though, on the <clears> other side, I assume from Pascal Donoghue's per, uh, perspective, it'd be a phenomenal job. I mean, it gets you out of the kind of parish pump dogfight politics when that dogfight is getting all the rougher. It gets you into an interesting job as it, and it tees you up on a road where you leave the IMF and I assume all the great and good clamour to give you non-executive directorships that'll keep you in the style to which you've become accustomed. Yes, and, and it's progression and we're all, we all like progression. Even uh, media superstars like yourself like to take on an extra we- day at the weekend and stay away from your family and your dogs and everything else. But, you know, you have to progress in your career and it's hard to see where Pascal Donoghue progresses in domestic politics. I think a similar challenge faced, uh, and this is Beltway stuff, it doesn't concern the average member of the public who, who who is concerned about other things. But politicians of a high elite level are concerned about these things. Where does he go? Simon Coveney is facing a similar issue. That there isn't going to be a, a vacancy for those two at leader. leader. They've kind of had a try. It hasn't worked out for them. So I think it, it, in some ways... He successfully bartered to stay on the Eurogroup when Michael McGrath became finance minister and got him, has kept himself as the, the chairman of that group. He has constantly been, been pro- progressing. Reports in the Financial Times said that he was very <coughs> close to Janet Yellen in the United States, um, the Federal Reserve chief. So it's, it's felt that he has the connections. Yes, it would be very prestigious again for Ireland. Does that matter to Fine Gael? And the Irish electorate, oh God, I might, you know, give Fine Gael a boost here because we've got a very prestigious role. Maybe, but, you know, with the way the world is going as well and Ireland, Ireland just sinking back into recession, it might be of help to us to have him there. Okay, let us, let's keep our fingers crossed that we never need direct influence of the IMF ever again. <laughs> but you make a fine point. All right, John Lee, the executive editor of the Daily Mail Group, is staying uh, with us. We are joined by 
Gabia Gadaviscata. Is that correct? Did I get yes, it? Yes, it is, yeah. Thank you very much. I have been practicing during the break. <laughs> um, and John Cunningham, who is former chair of the Immigrant uh, Council of Ireland and Relationship Director with Morgan McKinley. And I should say, of course, Gabia is news reporter at independent.ie. Just to pick up where we left off in relation to uh, Pascal Donoghue, John, do you, uh, if you were a betting man, do you see him as the next MD of the IMF? Well, first of all, wouldn't it be a fantastic outcome for both Ireland and Pascal if he was? It'd be great for Pascal. Does it make a difference to the rest of us? I think it probably does. I think he's one of those kind of voices and one of those contributors to Irish politics that has been really, really, really important and consistent and strong. I think what we can do is when you take it at face value, I understand he issued a statement yesterday saying that it is, it is his intention to stand to the next election. But you have to think that if you end up in the head of the IMF, it would be good for all of us. Why? If, uh, it's it's a statement that I, I would have thought was an interesting act in, in uh, diplomacy rather than directness. It doesn't at any point say, I don't want the job and I won't take it if I'm given it. But uh, at the moment, why would he? On the basis that, one, this is a conversation that's taking place potentially. And if it was you, you'd be doing the same. I suppose, again, just to, 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 to put it all out there, Pascal and I are uh, graduates of St. Declan's College in Cabra, CBS Christian Brothers. Um, uh, a great school and obviously myself and Pascal l- look at us now but um, no I think I, I think it really does make a difference and I think that if 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 it's if it's I mean my understanding is there's any job that Pascal would want he could have it he's really is in demand at that level and the Ecofin group has really kind of catapulted him to a kind of a, a level where he's now highly regarded and regarded as somebody I don't think do he it. can think it's a seller's market for the head of the IMF that's still a challenging enough role to get you can't just say I'm Pascal Dunne who give me the job No what I'm saying is that he is a candidate that's a serious candidate who'll be in the running for a really serious result Now in fairness the, 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 the Spanish candidate now has gone to the EIB which means that maybe he's, he's got a clean run at it Now but let's be very clear this is a hugely political appointment it's always been seen normally as a European person that takes the, takes the role. And at the moment in the European context, if there was to be a vote around the finance ministers, I'm quite sure Pascal would be number one on the list. Well, undoubtedly, this is something that we will be returning to because despite the Business Post saying Taoiseach scrambles to quell talk of Donoghue move to the IMF, I'm not sure the talk has been fully quelled by the statements that have been put out so far. There are bigger issues, of course, in the papers. Um, the Sunday Independent has a poll that looks at politics and it looks at sort of political attitudes and attitudes to the big issues facing the country. And it is a question which is, which of the following issues would be the two most important priorities to deal with? And the three at the top remain as they have been for recent months, if not years. Housing, the cost of living and immigration. A new category is uh, the rise of the far right. 19% of people seeing it to be a significant concern. And when asked... 50% of the people see it as a bigger concern than increasing migration, the growth of the far right and all that goes with it. Gabia, from having looked at the um, newspapers this morning and the the coverage of it, how significant is it being perceived as a concern, particularly among security forces? Because there's a lot of talk of it being as big a threat as terrorism once was. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see, you know, over a week now from those riots in Dublin, um, very much the political fallout and how it has played out um, on the political stage, we see, of course, Justice Minister Helen McEntee, she came under a lot of pressure um, in those first couple of days. And then the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris. Um, just as a small point on the politics of it, you know, to look at the Sinn Féin, it's the lowest level of support in the Ireland Thinks on the Independent poll since the series started in April 2021 on 28%, which is still, by the way, very, very high. But if we had a look at the Business Post poll uh, last week, you know, Sinn Féin was also down by a couple of points. Um, and there was one TD who made the point to me in Leinster House during the week that 
the support that's gone from Sinn Féin, even if it is a couple of percentage points, it's gone to the independents. And who is very vocal on the issue of immigration are independent TDs in the Dáil. Um, how is it going to play out in the next election? I, th- I think now it's certainly going to gather momentum. I mean, if you look at, there's a couple of things at play. If you look at X, for example, formerly known as Twitter, you know, a lot of the narrative is happening on there and a lot of these these figures are, are pushing certain agendas on there. I think the Justice Minister is in the clear. I think she did, she did quite poorly in the first couple of days. She struggled to get the handle of it and reassure the public who were understandably afraid of, you know, coming out onto the streets of Dublin or perhaps other cities um, for a pint or their night out or their Christmas party, whatever it may be this time of year. The Garda Commissioner, who came under a little bit of pressure at the Justice Committee during the week, but he remained very poker face. And Drew Harris is very good at that. You know, he's very calm, he's very poker face. But there is something to be said for, and I think this point hasn't really been made uh, politically by either the government or Sinn Féin or maybe people for profit have been making it a little bit, but nobody has said, this is how we're going to deal with the far right. Nobody has said, here's the policing strategy, here's our approach. We're going to, you know, Tisha Leo Radker came out the day after the riots and said, the lads that were out writing, we're going to get them. But who is going to get the far right figures? Nobody really, and we haven't really... We've sort of talked about it in the paper somewhat and maybe we've had a few politicians talking about it, but nobody has said, you know, here's our strategy. Sinn Féin, for example, could say this is an ideal opportunity. You know, they're saying they've no confidence in the Garda Commissioner, no confidence in Helen McEntee. We're going to see that vote in the Dáil in the next few days. They could say this is how we're going to police the far right and that would really play into their hands, I would say. I assume, John, it must be an extraordinarily difficult challenge because ultimately what you're trying to do is break up the sharing of an ideology and a set of ideas on platforms over which you have very little control. That's an extraordinarily difficult task. It is, but also we've got to keep creating the context. And as far as I can understand it, this far-right element is still a small group of people in the context of the population. And I suppose for me, I think language is really, really important. As you know, I, I chaired the Immigrant Council for for 12 years, and I suppose it's really important to start off on the basis that, look, migration to Ireland is both positive and permanent. And up until now, in general, we've had a really positive experience for most migrants living in this country, in general, right? What's really kind of frightening is that, I mean, uh, you know, you, you think about what they're saying now is, look, what is the cause of this? Because I thought it was really interesting in that poll that uh, David Quinn did, and they asked, who do you bl- blame for the antisocial behaviour, right? And the three top uh, responses were inadequate punishment from the, 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 the establishment, parents and the lack of opportunity for young people. So to me, there's a bigger fundamental question is what's the source and the cause of this? Now, as regarding the platforms, it's quite clear now that many of those platforms have not taken responsibility. Some have tried hard to say, look, we'll engage with you and we'll actually, we, we, we'll make it work. X looks like it's a problem in the context of their engagement, their lack of engagement. And X is very proud ver- vocally through their owner of that lack of engagement. They, yeah. they make that a, a so then because, characteristic. And so then it's the circle. It goes back to what's the legislation in place with regard to dealing with these things? What powers do we need to have in place to actually really deal with the issue? But unless we have a proper, articulate, intelligent conversation about the cause of the problems, Going after Drew Harris and Helen McEntee is a distraction and, as far as I'm concerned, a waste of time. But when you're talking about the cause of the problems, are you saying that this is a lack of social investment in certain people that is then capitalised on by the far right? Or is the issue extreme right wing ideology taking hold? Okay, I think it's the first. And I think the extreme right wing ideology has always been there. There's always been an element of it, OK? 
And to me, what's really important is that we don't give them the oxygen or the time to actually advance in the conversation. And I was thinking about this coming in this morning about, you know, trying to, trying to solve the big issues. We can't do that. OK, so what can we do on an individual basis is one is to speak out and call it out when we see it to actually kind of, again, you know, something as simple as deciding in December that we are all going to purposefully come back into town, support the retailers, enjoy Christmas and take back the streets if you wish, OK? What we can't do is surrender or create a vacuum where creating kind of hysteria about this event last week. What it was also needs to be acknowledged is that we were so shocked last week because it's the first time this has happened in, I won't say forever, but for an awful long time. So we actually live in a society where this is not accepted and it's not normal. And we need to acknowledge that and say, not on my behalf. What's the kind of political reaction, John, and what do you think um, th- that poll that says that it is um, now the fourth most important issue in voters' mind, is that because we're about eight or ten days away from the actual events itself and it's all fresh and it'll soon be forgotten and we'll reset back to where it was? I don't think it'll be forgotten. And politically, I, I, a problem is, people speak about the far, far right. Firstly, we haven't got a far right TD. I don't think we've any councillors that have ever been elected. Not yet. Because they're, no, no, and they, they haven't yet, pre- that grouping, if there, is such, if there is such a thing, political grouping, haven't pre- presented a coherent platform. One doubts whether they, with they, whether they ever can. But there was a perception in 2020, and I won't go back on Sinn Féin because Gabia has already discussed that, but, you know, they are the coming force in Irish politics that the, the centrist parties weren't prepared for what happened to them in 2020. They weren't prepared for the, the depth of anger there was there about housing, for instance, that manifested itself in the polls. The political establishment hasn't yet gathered itself as to what's going on with anti-immigration because the, the great increase in immigration that we've had recently has occurred only since the war broke out in the Ukraine. Mm-hmm. I think the government wasn't prepared for that. They've admitted it themselves. They can't house people coming in here. They themselves have admitted they made a mistake on using particular legislation to accommodate Ukrainian refugees through the most empathetic and, and, and good-willed of reasons. But they have, they have themselves said they used 2015 legislation to grant full um, social welfare to Ukrainian refugees. And then stats showed that 30% of the Ukrainian refugees had come here as a second destination. So I think the government have not been prepared for that. They need to deal with immigrants in a proper But are, are the two issues fashion. intrinsically intertwined or not? Is it that immigration is actually the issue and the problem or is it that there is an ideology that is about isolationism, that is about aggressive disenfranchisement, that is about discord and is using immigration as a stalking I think I I think both. If that if that's a way of of gathering your 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 statement there in the United States, we have a lunatic, a, a, a vicious, nasty, racist. Even though he makes great play that he's not about to commit, probably be re-elected in the, um, to the greatest democracy on the planet. In my view, still over there, twenty five percent of people believe in the most heinous conspiracy issues, uh, uh, um, theories. What is going to happen here in the next three years? We've got to be prepared for it. But I would roll back and restate, despite the the, the correct support for the minister for justice and the and the minister and the and the, the, the commissioner, what actually happened on O'Connell Street, and I was in town that day, and in the North Inner City, was a massive failure of policing. Now, whatever the reasons were for behind why people did what they did, there were people out there with no ideology. Um, they were looting. I don't think that it's an ideology, political um, platform that I'm aware of uh, looting um, uh, sneaker stores. <laughs> and uh, 
the Gardaí did not perform there. The commissioner has admitted there was huge failings there. So the first step, let's let's move away from everything else right now, is to learn how to police our streets. Well, now explain that to me in relation to what the poll has revealed. Because when asked who is doing their job well uh, in terms of satisfaction ratings, Helen McEntee got <clears throat> a 39% rating, which makes her more popular than Eamon Ryan, than Ivana Bacic. It makes her equally popular as Mary Lou MacDonald and as Holly Kearns as the Social Democrats. And surely after a week when we have had public transport shut down in the capital city and when we have had rioting like we saw, how is it that that's the end result? I had a perception that followed probably the herd myself until I spoke to a senior politician by text message on Friday. That's the, world, the way the world works. And that politician said to me, Within the Beltway, within um, you know Leinster House and the media, which is a, which is a, a failing that many of us have, there might be a perception that Garda management and the Department of Justice are one thing, and that rank and file Garda are another thing. Um, but but out, it still doesn't but, explain. No, I mean, no, no, and I'm, your, just, like, I'm going to continue the thought. But out there, with people who are going about their lives, there is a perception that the forces of justice are the one thing and I think correctly I'm not saying the, the within the Beltway way is correct, is correct correctly they perceive that because they weren't equipped in my opinion the Gardaí were attacked but take that as case point. Uh, give, give me, give me your view on this so there because is, just to finish we, there is a, there is a support out there for the forces of justice against the forces of disorder but you, you the kind of things that you're talking about about the Gardaí being insufficiently equipped the kind of legacy that there was at the end of that I would have thought if I was sitting in Sinn Féin I would have thought well obviously this is going to be a week where politically people are going to move to us as an alternative to what they have seen. Yet we are seeing the opposite, a drop of 3% in Sinn Féin's popularity. And it means that when you take Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil as combined as they effectively are, they're now a long way ahead of Sinn Féin when they were at parity only recently. And interestingly, I mean, Fine Gael is the party of law and order. And yet under Fine Gael, party of law and order and the Justice Minister, like we're seeing Dublin effectively burning. Um, I think what's interesting to see is the attitudes and I and I do think I think John's right in saying that like the government really is not prepared for what is kind of coming down the tracks when it comes to the far right and especially this very very delicate debate on immigration because when you look at the US you know the the far right in the US they're very much pro police they're very much so let's give everyone guns whether here in Ireland it's almost this sort of what I would be familiar you know being Lithuanian the sort of so post-Soviet idea of, well, the state is lying to me. The state isn't telling the truth. And, you know, the guards, they're not to be trusted. And the government's not to be trusted. And that's actually our uh, our far-right ideology. Um, you know, whether on the left, it's, it's, a li- it's a little bit different. So, like, how does the government tackle it? I don't know. I think um, certainly, you know, Sinn Féin haven't really given them enough alternatives on the policing front. Perhaps they can say we have alternatives in housing and maybe, you know, uh, finance or cutting taxes and so on. But um, when it comes to issues of justice and law and order, Sinn Féin don't really have enough alternatives available. You mentioned have any legitimacy when it comes to law and order. Let's, let's be honest about it. They have links with criminality until very recently and they were the political wing of a terrorist organisation and everyone can say, oh, that's all history, but the polls aren't showing it. And, no, we and were, of course we, what Sinn we Féin will say is that there are precious few political parties in this country that weren't at one point in their history the political wings of a terrorist there or, wasn't, or for a military instance, There wasn't, for instance, uh, any um, public representative in this country that I could stand up as a press conference as I did on Friday and ask the leader of that party of Mary Lou Macdonald and Gabby was there as well where I asked her 
is this a backlash? Will, do you fear this is going to backfire on you, bring down a motion of confidence in, in the Justice Minister when there are links, recent links to your party and criminality? And I also said, and there is your association with Jonathan Dowdall, who recently was convicted of, of serious crimes. That's not ancient history. Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil were connected to violence 100 years ago. But uh, Fine Gael... And it, was been, for, uh, and it was for two years. Uh, the, it was for been, three years. They have been connected the with issues pertaining to extraordinary... for 25 years. There have been issues pertaining to extraordinary behaviour and issues pertaining to uh, corruption. It was a, a Fine Gael minister who secured for Dennis O'Brien the mobile phone licence and subsequently... They weren't carrying AK-47s. It doesn't make it any, any more okay. I mean, I do take your point, Anton, in fairness. Um, mm. But I think when it comes to, I suppose, corruption in politics, especially a couple of decades ago, to some extent would have been nearly par for the course, unfortunately. And it's very good that that's not the case anymore, certainly in Ireland, uh, that we are aware of. But if you look at political scandals that we've had recently, I mean, they do pale in comparison to the scandals that we would have had, you know, in, in, in the Charles Hawhey era um, of political donations and, and so on. Look, we're going to have this motion on the doll on Tuesday. 100% the government are going to stand up and say, Sinn Féin have no credibility when it comes to policing, law and order or justice. But I will say, um, Helen McEntee's frequently spoken of as being, we're talking about the future. What are some of the senior figures in Fine Gael, their futures? I, I don't think this bodes very well for her leadership. I don't know if she ever, you know, I know that she's ambitious, um, but certainly this has really uh, put, a, put a dampener on her record and Can people ask, will remember that. You mentioned your, you, your own Lithuanian background. Have you found Ireland changing in terms of the welcome that is given to people who were not originally born here? Uh, for sure. Your own experience. Um, for sure. I mean, when I first came here, I had no English. My parents... Um, didn't in the the many years that they lived here, they always had their thick accents and they did speak English eventually over the years. But like I have a Roscommon accent, so if you meet me and you speak to me, we won't hold that against you. You think that I am Irish, um, but I have been in many situations with my parents where it's very obvious that they're being treated differently because of their accents or they can't understand. Ireland is a very welcoming country. Um, and Has that changed? I mean, it really depends who you talk to. You know, in 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 a capital city, like I, I obviously I'm a white person. I walk down the street, I feel safe. Um, I have in recent times, especially recent weeks, received on Twitter a lot more hatred based on where I am from. Um, not necessarily critiquing my work, but saying sure you don't know anything because you're Lithuanian, which I previously wouldn't have really had or very had very uh, rarely. Um, I, I think it's very much so. I'm also I'm also white, which obviously plays mm. to my advantage. I think it's also very much so a thing of, of of color, sadly. Um, but I, I think that it's a very small fraction. Like if I get abuse, I do get a lot of positivity. And if a, a person of color gets abuse, they do get a lot. When that's called out, they do get a lot of positivity. Is that and, abuse sorry, rising? Be, yeah, just to understand when you say really that, uh, somebody who <coughs> is a person of color, is it your belief that that is because? they are more identifiable as, quotes, foreign, or yes. is it a skin colour racism? Well, I mean, if somebody's a person of <clears> colour, <throat> I think if, if somebody has an issue with, with their race, obviously they're much more, you know, obviously from somewhere else. But again, like my accent does play to my advantage. The colour of my skin plays to my advantage. Um, you know, somebody who's, for example, who's, you know, African-Irish, you know, they would be at a much bigger disadvantage than me. To some extent, is the government on both fronts reaping what it sows in this, John? Because if you look at the two things, which do you believe to be a greater concern? 40% say an increased immigration levels, 53% say growth of the far right. In both instances, you could make an argument that says a lot of things were taken for granted. 
the growth of the far right was taken for granted that it would be a small cohort and that you don't feed it oxygen and the general warm acceptance of immigration was taken for granted. Well, first of all, I think you're right. And I think that what happened last week for me was a huge wake up call. Right. And I think, again, first of all, I have huge regard for people who put themselves in political life. OK, it's a wretched sort of a living and a wretched life in many respects. OK. And back to your original question about Helen McEntee, I think ultimately, first of all, the fact that this country functions as well as it does normally in the context of law and order, we must acknowledge that because it actually works and the guards provide an extraordinary service to the country. I think her response, well, obviously she's a bit taken aback initially, I think her response has been really strong and positive. I think Drew Harris the same. But I think the bottom line is that you really hope there's articulate, intelligent conversations taking place with all these changes behind the scenes. Because what's really interesting is that I've got to scratch the surface for much of this and this vile hatred appears. And if we don't clamp down it, I think, again, one of the things that cropped up, I think, over the last 10 days or so was the reaction of the guards. And what looked like at times their inability to deal with the issue. And you had people saying, God, would you love to have their batons out and just take them out and all the rest, OK? And we now know that, you know, if a guard was seen beating somebody with a baton, there'd be a case against them and all that. So well, there again, the next night, the guards were, weren't shy in whipping out the batons and, it, and it had an immediate effect. And I have to tell you, and I think that's good. And I think that's what law and order should be doing in the context of these people that they're participating with. But back to your question again, it feels like now that in Ireland for the first time that this issue is now bubbled to the head last week. And what you want to have is articulate, intelligent debate and discussion about it and not a knee-jerk reaction. But hang on for a minute now. John Lee, you and I spoke about this the, the last time there was something along these lines, which was when there was the barricading of uh, Dáil Éireann because your little girl ended up having to be snuck out of Dáil and having been stuck in there. Under a uh, towel. Under a towel in the back of the car. No blankets. Her, her mum's car. Now, th- th- they were hanging effigies outside. They were... Um, uh, violently approaching TDs. Remember Michael Healy Ray having to be walked yeah. past by the guards? Now, surely all Bottle of that... urine was thrown at one stage. Was that not the point at which we say, hang on a minute, there is something significant here, this ain't small beans? Well, that's... And that's what I'm getting at. And, you know, everyone is rightly supportive of the, uh, of the, of the guardee, but there is, a, there is a great deal of nation between a rank-and-file guard who goes out there risking his life and on that day at Leinster House took initiative without the proper armoury to do, to do what they should do. Now, one can empathise with the, the Garda Commissioner um, who failed in his management of the force that day on the 20th of September outside Leinster House. I was there. It was, it, it was easily managed in many ways, but it wasn't. Then a week later, he, the Commissioner turned up in shirt sleeves outside Leinster House with this massive security operation after the horse had bolted, as I write in my column today. <clears throat> and then clearly roll on to last week, the Gardaí were not informed of the uh, of of what they should be doing until the horse had bolted again on the Friday night. But now, in, in taking your analogy, in both instances, isn't the stable door more about intervening on Telegram, intervening on Twitter, intervening around the discourse that foments this? Because the once it has got to the point that there's people on the streets. You're already losing, are you but, not? But clearly we don't, the, the Gardaí don't, again don't have the resources. And yeah, we're, listen, we are, all statistics will show we're one of the safest countries on the planet. Yeah. No one is advocating that we end up in, in, in the Wild West show that it, uh, uh, affects friends of mine, for instance, in Chicago and other places now with, with the use of guns on both sides. Mm. But clearly 
the Commissioner himself departed from the usual gover- government line on, on Wednesday at the Justice Committee where he admitted now there is a, it's a, it's a minor admission in some ways but he said there aren't enough Gardaí we don't have enough resources we need to get it to 15,000 which is the government aim but he has departed somewhat in saying that then if you, if you have the resources firstly you can deal with um, uh, amalgamation of, of groupings online um, that's not being done clearly, and then you deal with. But the, 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 you still have to police the streets. Yeah. Now we we won't say there was a, there was an there was probably capacity to prevent what happened, and let's not forget what all this relates back to, which is an attack on school children on the street. That may not be possible, but there was a man um, almost killed on Talbot Street in July, mm-hmm. um, a few a few hundred yards from Store Street Garda Station. There is clearly. I worked in the in the in the North Inner City. I lived there. I went to school there. Um, there is clearly a massive problem with the respect that's been shown for that part of the, uh, of the world that there aren't enough police there. And let's go back. Let's not forget again. In Clare, uh, last May the Gardaí lost control of a boring down there where people were stopping immigrants who had come from a traumatic, sorry, asylum seekers who had come from traumatic experiences that led them to be here in the first place and they were being stopped and asked where they were going and the Gardaí didn't intervene there either. There is an issue with policing. But the guards are not the answer. The guards are kind of solving a problem. The question is, what's leading to this, Okay, Back to those inner city organisations that were funded. Remember poor old Michael Stone who gave us time and effort and he was chased out of the place. But what's happened? Putting the guards in just might prevent somebody from participating in some sort of act of crime. What's the cause of this? What's the problem? And what are we doing at a well, grassroots level? To to actually, I mean, this is yeah. John Cunningham, former chair of the Immigrant Council of Ireland. A text saying, look, enough of the fawning. There is no lack of opportunity or education or employment in this country. The yobs who burn Dublin have no problem wearing designer clothes. Time for the Gardaí to police for the majority, not the minority. Can I make a point just very quickly? Sorry, this is Dublin inner city. If there is no opportunity in Dublin inner city, okay, fair enough. You know, walk a couple of kilometres to you know, Fibsborough or even go to the inner city centre. Like, if there's no opportunity there, then what's to be said for, for example, Rygrup, which is Roscommon, where... You know, we have to have a car to drive literally anywhere. We have a serious lack of community centres, you know, after school activities. Like, if there's no opportunity for young people in okay, Dublin well, inner city, John, then I don't know where it is. But to no, get beyond to the yeah, text, but, but, what's but, the response? Yeah, I think, first of all, one level, they're absolutely right. But this is, this is what, the, what the, the, the research shows, all right? So there's this bigger social breakdown that we are just not dealing with, which is there's a cohort of people who don't participate in the working world, who don't want to participate in the working world. There's more courses available for people who want to advance themselves than you can shake a stick at. So how do those people get lost and how do you bring them back? And the bottom line is that, you know, and back to this issue of kind of the, the immigration, this country couldn't function without its migrant workers, OK? Wouldn't function, OK? We're at full employment. Now, some might say that there's a, a large rump of that full employment is a kind of lower salaries. But the bottom line is that texture is absolutely right. But how does that all get connected together and how do you identify these people? And it's going back into the communities. And those, I mean, you think of it, this is a country that runs on voluntary work, voluntary organisations on the ground helping educate people. I remember I was, I was on the board of the Irish Youth Foundation for many years and our job was to fund local organisations that did breakfast clubs and kept kids in school and all the, the Clondalkin Youth Band that Bill Cullen funded for years. It saved thousands of young people in the context of keeping them away from trouble. So there's all those practical basic things and you can have all the guards in the world Walk on the streets is not going to solve that problem. Okay, uh, we, there is much more to discuss. Um, obviously, there are um, issues e- e- emanating or 
uh, things to be discussed emanating out of the poll, including um, uh, somewhat dampening Conor McGregor's electoral prospects because one of the questions was, would you vote for Conor McGregor if he ran for uh, public office? 89% said no, and there's only a a 3% (laughs) swing vote available to him for him to convince them back if he wants to. Um, This, of course, is because um, Conor McGregor was was tweeting aggressively throughout all that happened with the riots and subsequently, and some of the, a lot of the responses were, you should run for election, hence the question was asked about his prospects. Uh, Interesting text to say, as the Irish mother of a mixed heritage teenager who I would describe as sallow and easily identified as mixed race, I can tell you we are deeply uncomfortable in this country at the moment. My child attends university and he no longer socialises in the city where that university is in the evenings. He has never been physically assaulted, but he has been verbally abused by strangers in the city numerous times. We are an Irish, Mediterranean, Asian family with some Jewish heritage and honestly listening to people saying we're the safest country in the world at the moment is quickly becoming insulting. 53106 at a cost of 30 cent or you can get us 87 106 The other news is RTE related. Uh, Gabia, this is in uh, John Lee's paper telling us that 50% of first time license fee payers, in other words, people buying a new telly or moving house, are not buying their TV license or not paying for it. That's a huge problem for RTE, isn't it? Yes, so these are figures uh, that John Drennan is reporting on. So the station, of course, has lost more than 17 million since that controversy over Ryan Tuberty began in June. But now it's been revealed that the fall-off has been especially high among those buying a television licence for the first time. So in 2023, first-time TV licences were just over 6,000 for uh, July, down 38% on last year's figure. Uh, nearly 5,000 for August, which is about 50% uh, fall off. And this comes as RT has actually pulled their uh, advertising for buying the TV licence. So the argument is, of course, they've gotten their over 50 million now from the government, their, their bailout. I know that Kevin Backers calls it interim funding, but it is a bailout. Um, they've stopped their advertising and, you know, people just aren't buying the television licence. But the key issue about all this that the government has said for decades and decades is reform of the television mm. licence. Because it does, I have an iPad here in front of me and a phone and I can watch RT on both of those devices at the same time if I like and I don't have to pay a television licence. So the longer that the government delays and holds off um, and Mary Lou says dither and delay on making a decision on the television licence, the longer this is going to be a problem for RTE. And we can see the impact of the challenges in funding already, John Lee, by the fact that they're not able to afford a Christmas tree. No, but like, you know... Is that a bit much? State organization, is it a bit much? State organization, state organization spending five grand a tree. Someone in this station said this morning, I won't say who, Thank you. Um, since you know, it's the story that keeps on giving. But you see... As a journalist and someone who's worked in a senior position in a media organisation, we've had this discussion um, in, in here before, Anton. The reason it keeps on giving is because no one is grabbing the reality of this. I came into newspapers, newspapers in, in 1995. We were warned about a thing called the internet and we started preparing for the change. So people often come up to me and pat me on the back, patronising in a coffee shop and I'm reading a paper and go, oh, don't worry, I still buy the papers. But our business model is not based upon a a lack of understanding of how the world has changed. And fundamentally, RTE persists now in December 2023, six months after all this started. RTE and the government in not understanding how much it needs to change. And like this TV licence thing, of course, has been reformed, proposed. I do not see any hint of reality coming from that organisation 
to understand how much things have changed. Very difficult organisation to change. I mean, you heavily well unionised, well semi-public sector. At some point, at some point, Anton, what is going to happen, and come back to me on this if it doesn't happen, is what happened with the Irish banks. Overnight, someone is going to realise, actually, do you know what? We've no money left. What are we going to do? So that, that point is coming. From these figures, it is, it, it is showing that that licence fee, which has not been reformed, is not providing the money that's required to run that organisation. Then we move to a government bailout and people within government at the most senior level, oh, we need RT to cover elections and stuff. Did you watch the, did you watch the American elections? The, the most momentous elections of our, of our lives nearly. Um, Joe Biden and I watched that on CNN. CNN is a commercial organisation. You don't need a national broadcaster to cover elections. So I think until reality is grabbed here, and that licence fee issue is dealt with immediately and there's been a big commission, as Gabby mentioned, a media commission proposal to deal with that. Or I think something's going to happen overnight okay. in the John, worst you want way. to come in, I'll give you a final word very briefly. Yeah, just, we're missing the bigger point, I think, here is back to John's just referred to it. This con- commitment to public service broadcasting and what it actually means, OK? We believe and understand, we're told, that in a functioning democracy we need to have it, OK? If it's needed and required, what's the right funding model? And for God's sake, would you embrace it and get it done. Now my only hope and a lighter note is that the Dancing with the Stars with Eileen Dunn is going to solve all their problems. <laughs> well if you missed Eileen Dunn's uh, thoughts on Dancing with the Stars you can get them on our podcast and the Anton Savage show she was on yesterday. Doesn't fancy her chances I think that was just false humility. She's really desirous of winning that glitter ball at the end of the whole thing. A uh, big thank you to John uh, Cunningham former chair of the Immigrant Council of Ireland and relationship director of Morgan McKinley. Thank you also to Gabia Gedeviscaccia who is the news reporter at independent.ie and John Lee executive editor at the Daily Mail Group. The Anton Savage Show. Brought to you by PWC. Sunday mornings from 10. On News Talk.